My mum was one of the women involved in the cervical chair crisis of 2018, so she passed away in 2012 I'm sorry to hear when that. she was 48. I was 24, so it was mad. But I actually had only just found out I was pregnant as well three days beforehand, and I was due to get married that year as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. So many of our episodes are focused on health promotion, but today we're talking with our partners in the National Screening Service about prevention and early intervention through screening. Earlier this week, I got to sit down with Fiona Murphy, Chief Executive of the National Screening Service, and one of their patient and public reps, Grace Rattigan. They both give great insights into the work going on in the National Screening Service and how their new strategy, Choose Screening, will guide their work in the coming years. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. So I'm really delighted to have you both on today. Great to have a senior voice, Fiona. And there's nothing more powerful than having the patient or public voice, Grace, when seeking to develop a service that's patient-centered. I suppose that's what you're really trying to do here with this new strategy, Fiona. I'll get straight into it. Absolutely. NSS is the National Screening Service, and it's never had a strategy before, which is surprising because we've certainly had breast screening for about 20 years, but it never had anything that brought all four of the screening programs together as one. And one of the things we really wanted to do when we were thinking about having a strategy was the way we did it would start the journey of the strategy. And so the two things we particularly wanted was that we had patients and stakeholders involved in developing it and we had staff involved in developing it. So it wasn't going away into it. had to be an example of how you were saying you're going to work. Yeah, so we weren't going to write the strategy and then start working in a particular way. We were going to try and develop it in that way. So a lot of engagement. It slowed it down. But I think it made it much stronger. And so in particular, I suppose, from a staff perspective, that they feel it doesn't matter whether you're working in a mobile unit breast screening or you're in an office or you're in a laboratory, that you feel you're part of something bigger. And that bigger thing is about screening, being able to save lives. So we wanted people to see where they fitted in in the strategy, that it was real for them and they could own a bit of it and could see what would be different in five years time and that it connected them to why they come into work every day. And then part of that is we serve about half of the country are eligible for screening in some shape or form. And so we wanted to make sure that actually the people who experience the screening are part of determining where we should go and what we should do. So we started our patient and public partnership about four years ago. So that predated the strategy. But very important that we engaged with that patient panel to help us shape it and also got some ideas about how do we broaden it? How do we take it out from kind of more tokenistic asking people what you think once we've developed something to bringing it at least a couple of steps back to say, what should we develop next and can we co-design it? And speaking as a patient myself, sometimes they're interested in different things. So Grace has been particularly involved in some of our cervical screening work. We've got people involved in bowel screen. We've got people involved in breast. But we also do retina screening for patients with diabetes and fewer people involved in that, but just trying to widen the range of people who are involved. So Grace is a very young public rep. Yeah, we're going to have to get you, get you in <laughs> on this, Grace. Yeah. But it's unusual for us because <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of the time the health service has older public reps yeah, because yeah. they tend to be people who are retired or, you know, have Coming more time in their back. hands. Yeah, and why exactly. did you get involved, Grace? So I'm delighted now you refer to me as young. But my mom was one of the women involved in the cervical chair crisis of 2018. So she passed away in 2012. I'm sorry to hear When that. she was 48. Um, I was 24 at the time. So it was mad. Yeah. Um, but I actually had only just found out I was pregnant as well three days beforehand. And I was due to get married that year as well. So the whole 
it was quite well, the same story yeah, if that was the way to put it but um, my daughter was born then in the December of that year and as the kind of years went on without my mum I'd started to notice things as a parent that I was missing out on without my mum right. and I wrote it down and I ended up putting out a blog post basically be mammy without mum but in the end of that blog post I put the link for the cervical check register so people could check to see you know when they're due because it was important and a lot of people clicked on it and I was like oh this is kind of so you didn't set out to be an advocate no, for the service? No, absolutely but, but not. You it just, absolutely were. It, well, it, it, that's how it started. I was like, oh, maybe I should play on this now. I was like, you know, after building a bit of an audience, this might help. And yeah. I was thrilled then. And because I was in the age bracket, that majority of people who were looking at me were women or people who were taking up screening. So I it just fit perfectly. And that's how it started. So I started on social media. And then I continued with that for a good while. And what were you doing there? Your initial post was so powerful. The first one was, it's quite a sad read, even if I, I don't read again ever since, but I have two children now, though things are a little bit different. But at the time it was, and I ended up on like radio stations and it really hit home with a lot of people. And I was on, I think at the time I would have been on Snapchat. So Instagram wasn't the big thing then. Yeah. So I've moved over now. But, you know, I built up quite the audience there and same on Facebook and then predominantly on Instagram now. But I suppose up to the point of the crisis in 2018, it would have been Instagram. It would have been just, you know, I was just putting up reminders or things I'd seen online, like prompts to go get your screening, why it's so important, sharing things I'd seen from other people and the links and stuff like that. And it was really interesting to see how many people would click the link or the amount of people who came back to say, oh, my God, thanks so much. Got the letter. Forgot. Seen your post. I've gone and booked. Or, you know, thanks so much. made like I'm not as nervous going in now or I'd people text me when they're in the waiting room before oh, they'd go in and oh I'd be like God. it's grand you'll be fine and then they'd be oh you're so right it was grand and you know you just, just needed a just, relatable voice yeah because I'd even on my own like I didn't obviously bring my phone in for my smear but I had said I'm in the waiting room and I'm just going to show you so quick I was like I'm out in two minutes and I poor nurse didn't have the clue and I said to her we have to do this really fast because I need to go tell everyone how quick it is and how grand and how grand it is and she was like okay but like it is you know it is a quick process so I think that kind of made it real for a lot of people like so that was my so you became a champion uh, inadvertently yeah of my own accord yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) until then and then in 2018 when the crisis happened then obviously we were as I would like to say brought into it we didn't know anything about it and all I knew Irene Teep was actually a friend of mine strange enough so Irene and my mom were both involved which I knew Irene completely separately so then where cervical cancer awareness then came I was lost because I was like this service is under attack basically and I still want to promote I still knew how important it was but I felt lost in the how do I promote something that's been directly involved in my family and the opportunity came then to join as patient rep and kind of help implement the recommendations from Scally report and stuff like that so I was like yeah I'll do that and that's how that started then so I'm still here a long time I'm in lots of different ways I'm involved now (laughs) yeah that's very 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 interesting to hear that you took that volunteer ambassador role and now you're that's become formalized and you've got the Scally report actions to really give you something grounded to deliver on. Yeah. And it's great to hear that we're making so much progress on that report. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're all done now Yeah, and done a while, to be honest. So I suppose we've moved on to things like the big talk now is about the elimination of cervical cancer as a public health concern. So that doesn't mean we'll eradicate cervical cancer, but we know that if we get enough people taking up the HPV vaccine and enough people coming for screening, and good treatment once they do get diagnosed, that we can make cancer a really cervical cancer, a rare disease. And it's one of the only cancers that's known that is 
primarily about 90% of it is caused by HPV virus and we can vaccinate against it. So that's primary prevention, I suppose, in its yeah, best yeah, sense yeah. that by young women and now boys as well in the catch-up programme get so vaccinated. it's very important to join the HPV and cyclic screen and like the HPV Absolutely. So, so there's a big group now in the alliance, I suppose, together with the vaccination leads, screening, patients, the government, some of the charities around coming up with a model. So we're doing some work with Australia to model out at what point do we think we could eradicate. Is it eradicate is get below? It's four in a hundred thousand. Okay, so four. at the moment we're about 11 in Ireland. We would have been before cervical screening came in, we would have been up around 15 cases per 100,000 women. We're now down to about 11 because Cervical screening has been so effective over the last 10 years in reducing incidence. But we now think with the combination of vaccination and screening, we can get down to four. And the question we're trying to model out is when. Right. What's the date we're going to set? Well, to that's kind one of the say. exciting things about It's your, amazing. Your like, I, I don't know any other. Like, no. I get overwhelmed by it, to be honest, because there are a few diseases, not a mind any other cancers. Yeah. that you can put a timeline on, put a timeline on when we're going to make it really, really yeah. rare. So that's a great offering out to your coalition there that you said you're trying to get together in the modeling. And I saw the timeline in your strategy. Like your, Yeah, your, we have a roadmap for yeah, roadmap, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and trying to see, well, and it's a you can see all the things, things that have happened already. Yeah, there's things happening in 2023 in that roadmap. Absolutely. This isn't some long distant plan. This is yeah. what's happening just now. So our bit of it is to be part of the partnership, but also to make sure that our section, which is about the screening, is as good as it can be. So it does very well internationally in terms of how many people come for screening. Right. But we still know that about 20% of the population who are eligible for screening don't come. And they account for about half the cancers. This is across the four programs? Particularly in cervical screening. Okay. We know that the people who don't come account for a much higher number of cancers so a lot of our work is around talking to communities around what's stopping them coming so a lot of the things Grace said about being scared of it thinking it's going to be painful just forgetting to be honest putting it on the long finger exactly so if we have people who can talk to their peers much better so we prefer to have girls at the age of 25 telling other girls at the age of 25 that this is an okay thing to do it's fine and this yeah yeah that's one of the things that i was you know reading around coming into this episode i thought like normalizing screening for everybody at some age and then as you said if we want to push on the cervical screening you need to pinpoint the age that we want exactly so we start screening for people with diabetes we start their eye screening at 12 yeah for cervical cancer, we start screening at 25. For breast cancer, for women, we start screening at 50. Yeah. And then for bowel screening, we start both men and women at 60. And if I can get a plug in for bowel screening in particular, yeah. because we've we've pretty good uptake in cervical, pretty good uptake in breast. But bowel, um, for some reason, only about half the people who could do the test do it. Yeah. So we send a test to your home. It's the fit test, is it? That's the fit test. Do it yourself and send it back in. It goes to a lab and then a small percentage of people are called back in for colonoscopy. Yeah, there's been a lot of work done to make it... As easy as it can be. And yet uh, people are reluctant to do it for loads of different reasons. But I suppose what's brilliant about barrel screening and cervical in particular is it can prevent cancer. So for breast cancer screening, you're finding cancer as early as you can. But for... The other two for barrel and cervical, they actually have a prevention arm as well as an early detection arm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. 
in bowel, for example. That's why we want everybody in the proper age cohort to. Exactly, yeah. because, you know, half the people that we find in bowel screening who go on to have a colonoscopy will have precancerous polyps. They can be removed and it reduces your chance of ever getting cancer. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're the people we really want to find. I mean, very good to also detect cancer early in all three of the programs. But, you know, if we p- can prevent it ever happening, then that takes such a range of worry and cost and treatment away from people. Yeah. So that, that takes us back into the patient piece again. And Grace, maybe you can come in on this. Like, you know, when you look at the bowel screen and, and you're trying to engage with members of the public and patients to see where you need to engage more, is it? Or? Yeah. So some of it might be about encouraging uptake. Yeah. Some of it's about encouraging information. So like screening is a choice for people. So we need to make sure they have as much good information to their fingertips to make that choice as possible. An informed decision. An informed decision, not just doing it because well, someone said it was a good idea. Because screening doesn't work for everybody. One of the things we need to make sure people are aware of is that they don't rely on their screening test necessarily. So if you get a symptom in between your screens, don't ignore it. Go and get it checked out. So if you've got a lump or a bump or bleeding where you shouldn't have bleeding. And that goes back to the information. And, exactly. You know, people. And do you think, uh, Grace, that we still need to do a lot more on that information piece, the symptom piece? We can't do that enough, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we can do that enough, but I think that's one of the biggest areas. And I suppose that comes out of the crisis. People are so skewed of information. It's you know, the wrong information a lot yeah. of the time, yeah. unfortunately, and of actually what happened and what didn't happen. But I think as well, what Fiona says is important there, that the symptoms, but also where the HPV vaccine is concerned, that people think they've had the HPV vaccine, they don't need to uptake in screening. Oh, they right, they right. absolutely do. So yeah. I got it reminded me of COVID. It's like, you know, still wear your mask, even if you got the COVID vaccine. So yeah. it's like, still get your smear or your cervical screening if you have had the HPV vaccine. So that's the thing that I don't think is 100% clear either. And this is a big area where I like to come in on and communication where stuff, because I, I think the people, as I always say, they'll trust people. Even where bowel screen is concerned, we have like really good patient reps for bowel mm-hmm. screen. And them too, mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. too. And they're both just lovely. But I think when you look at them, they are perfect catchment area. They're the right age. They're both men. One of the people that I came across on your public patient partnership was Nikki, a retired postal worker. And it was the story of his kind of coming into the service and his experience through a blog on your screeningservice.e website. There's some wonderful blogs there and stories that kind of highlight some case studies. And in terms of the, you know, him coming on board as a public patient partnership member when he was retiring, as it's going away do he told everybody in his in his workplace to get the fit test so it's wonderful to hear the message going as you said into into people that are so kind of relatable absolutely and it's people like nikki who've been through the process yeah. and can tell people that it's not maybe as scary. It. exactly and not only did nikki tell his colleagues he also rocked up to southeast Ireland. radio yes yeah, <laughs> it's local yeah. radio and the irish daily mail and the irish and times and ireland am <laughs> and he was on one of the programs with our clinical director, again, just talking about demystifying going for your bowel screen test. Yeah. And it's those real interactions are just brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They really tell the story of what it's like to go through screening. If, if you do find something amiss and you have to go on to have a colonoscopy and why it's worthwhile doing it. So Nikki has also talked to us about his thoughts about how to get the message out because local radio is brilliant for it it gets to parts that other places don't reach i think sometimes but you know everybody has their own network of people and he's had some good ideas about how we could do more around bowel cancer awareness month so like 
this year, it was in April, and we did a big campaign about just keeping your test in the loo because it might just remind you oh, every time right, you go yeah, in yeah, there yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. little tricks sometimes like that of things yeah. that you hear from people. So yeah. like we often find that it's actually the people who've been through the process and have either found something pre-cancer or cancer stage who are our best champions because they're able to say, actually, Jean, it wasn't that much to be scared of. You're better off catching it early. I know it seems like a lot of people are afraid of what will be found. Yeah. But it'll be found eventually anyway. So why not find it early at a time when treatment's not as invasive and so on? So, yeah, we've got some great guys in bowel to encourage other people. It was last year in Bowel Cancer Awareness Month, there was one of the hurlers from Cork was also talking about it. And, yeah, I think there's something about having real people yeah, talking well, about real absolutely. things that yeah, happen. Yeah. So. Your authentic voice, you're an exactly. influencer in your field. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I hate that word. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people hate the word, but like particularly, like you mentioned, the channel Instagram there. Like there's so many women using that channel yeah. and, and listening to other women selling stuff. Or sometimes it's a good and important good message. Thing, yeah, sometimes you it's know. free as well. Mine's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're on Instagram yeah. doing these different messages on an ongoing basis? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's another bits and pieces that are just normal, run-of-the-mill, mammy stuff. But relatable. But rela- Yeah, well... I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So the patient and public partnership piece that you're an influencer in, Grace, like, would you encourage other people to get involved in this? Yes, absolutely. And I think I suppose at the start, I was really, really concerned. I was like, I'm just being brought in here to tick a box. Yeah. You know, it looks well to have somebody there. You could see the corporate need for it. Yeah, and specifically at the time as yeah, well. I was yeah. like, I couldn't be better for them to bring in now. I you know, know it's I my know. family that's affected. I'm in here. But it wasn't like that at all. I mean, I sit on the QA committee now for cervical check. And I remember being asked to do that. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go for this. And then I went in. I was like, oh, there's really important people in this meeting. And like, nothing is held. Nothing is hidden from me. Like, like I quality can, assurance, quality assurance for the, the PPP yeah, as well. Like every well. single detail. Like I'd open the documents before a meeting. I'd be like, oh my God, they're actually telling me everything. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing. Yeah. Like I knew there was nothing to hide in a sense at this point. Yeah. But I just think that that message hasn't really got out. And I think in general in Ireland, we're bad at that. Or being transparent, I guess, is what you're talking Sorry, about, isn't yes. it? Sorry, yes. Giving examples of transparency. Like it's easy. And going back to what you said, Fiona, about putting transparency, like your name and that in your strategy. Absolutely, yeah. But by virtue of the example that, that you're giving, Grace, around being in on some of those committees, not just yeah. wheeled in on, no, on the just, big day, yeah. you know, to be cynical about it. Like you said, you were exactly. super cynical. Yeah, But you've I been was. involved in nuts and bolts work. Yeah. And I'm not just sitting there. I'm asked questions. I'm asked yeah. my opinion. I've yeah. seen my opinion being used. I've seen questions that, you know, I've been asked and I've given advice and it has gone through and like lots of different parts. And I'll see someone like, oh, I said that the other day. And then I'll see somebody else saying it and... Oh, so you found it an empowering piece Absolutely, for yourself? Absolutely, yeah. It's very worthwhile, definitely. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Grace, for sharing that. And if people want to get involved in the patient and public partnership, you can contact by email the pppleed at screeningservice.ie because you are looking for more people to get involved. Fiona, you want the likes of Grace involved across your programmes? Completely. So we have people involved across all four just now, but we always want new people and we generally have a list of projects that we'd like people to be involved in and we can't furnish them all. So, yeah, absolutely. The more the merrier. We've got a dedicated lead who kind of takes care of you, gives you a bit of induction into what screening is all about, how it's going to work, is there to kind of support you through it. 
And then each of the screening program managers or the project leads, if there is one, will take a bit of time to help you in, really, yeah. understand what it is that's being looked for. And some projects might just have one patient rep, but a lot of them will have two. So, again, you've got somebody else to talk to. You've you're, got you're someone to buddy some, up with. You're networking them in with ex- more experienced people like Grace. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then... I think we've only done it once this year because we kind of haven't been face to face for so long, but trying to bring all of the reps together once a year to kind of share their experience and what's happening. And I suppose just provide a little bit of peer support around it. There's no set time. You don't have to give a certain amount of time or anything. It's completely up to the individual how much they want to get involved or what types of work they want to get involved in. So, again, we try and give an idea of the work that's coming up in the next year so people can say oh well i'd be interested in doing x yeah, yeah. depending on their background themselves or what how much time they have or what they might be interested in so we'll yeah. kind of we'll take all shapes and sizes yeah it's great that you're resourcing it and making it somebody's responsibility because a lot of services would like to do that but if you don't put somebody behind it and mind the people that you're inviting in and just be there to be able to answer yeah. some questions yeah. and it's all the day-to-day stuff that's harder actually how yeah. do i get there you know do you pay my expenses yeah. i suppose there's people like grace who are willing to talk publicly and then there's some people who really want to do the behind the scenes stuff and don't want to be a face of a campaign it's trying to match up what a patient wants and what the program is looking for okay also i suppose be able to if you're feeling you want to ask some questions but you're nervous about doing that in a big group or feeling you know you don't know as much about what's going on is everybody else do you have some backup support so it's fairly light touch but at least it's there to organize things yeah absolutely you called the strategy choose screening and i thought that was a great name it certainly jumped out to me good you said earlier on that you're trying to provide the best information you can so people make an informed decision it's a loud message isn't it it is. And it's funny, we had a staff competition to oh, really? to get the name and we really struggled and it was too long or it's too dry or it just we struggled to know what to call it. Yeah. And then somebody in the middle of a meeting just said something about, you know, it's just because we want people to choose screening. And I thought there, that's it. That, yeah, that's yeah. the name of the strategy. And for me, it's kind of cut a couple of layers on it because, yeah, we do want people to choose it. Absolutely. We want them to to have an informed choice. So that's our job to make sure there's good information. But then the other layers, like I want people to choose to come and work in screening because it's a great place to be and we value people and we support them. We want people to come and choose to work with us, like Grace and the other patients, because again, we will value your input. We'll listen to what you have to say and, and involve you. We want the government to choose screening to put their money in because it's a great preventative strategy and will save them millions of euros further down the line in terms of prevention of disease so it kind of works on so many it levels. worked on so many levels i just loved it the two pieces that popped out to me in the strategy was your commitment to engagement and partnership and people and culture you know and you've hit on them already in, in terms of the, the work you're trying to do in the ppp and the process that you undertook to develop the strategy in the first place yeah and there's this saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast yeah, yeah, yeah. and i agree with it and so we were trying to make sure that this strategy reflected our culture rather than a standalone dry document so those two things were really important engagement with people and our internal culture around our values and how we act as well as what we do so we stand by the care compassion trust and learning of the hse but we did lots of workshops around well what does that mean what do we mean when we say we're compassionate or we care for people and that was a big part of developing the strategy so it's not just about the technical things that we do but also 
the way that we do them and how we do them. So the care that a radiographer gives to a woman coming into a mobile screening unit is as important to that woman as the technical results of it. So that interaction and, yeah. and and the greater the sensitivity and knowing that the sensitivity can sometimes be a barrier then you really need to lean into that you, you really do absolutely and the whole way we interact with people and share our information you know you were talking earlier about what grace gets access to in the yeah. qa committee i mean i'm for you share your information good bad and indifferent yeah. because actually it's only by being open that you can get people to trust you and you can be seen as trustworthy so again, some of the other elements in the strategy, which is around data and information and governance, is all kind of keeping to those core values of openness and transparency and being trustworthy. So I hope that what's in the strategy and what we've come out with is really meets that cultural change that in some ways screening has led in health services in Ireland. There's some things in terms of what we're looking at for equity, I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because we often bandy about the term health inequalities and health equity as like an aspirational thing and something that we're working towards. And definitely some of our initiatives that we've spoken about on the podcast are literally designed to be targeted. But you're trying to take an equity approach in your strategy as well. You've named it. We have. And I suppose that's about putting an equity lens onto things. So, you know, we know things like writing information leaflets only get so far. Giving information to people tends to be good for some socioeconomic classes and less so for others. So we can sometimes widen those inequalities by very well-intentioned initiatives, but actually it's good for the people who can access them. It gets nothing for the people who can't. So as we develop a policy or a piece of work within screening, are we at the front of our minds thinking, okay, are we making this easier for people to access or harder for people to access? Are we thinking about how easy it is to get to a GP practice or a mobile screening unit or what have you? Do they have English as their first language? We've done a lot of work with Translate Ireland to translate information into tons of different languages. Do they have a GP practice themselves? Are they registered? Can we help people who aren't registered? Are they part of maybe traveling communities who aren't always static? Are they part of immigrant communities, again, that maybe don't have a static address? And we know that particularly... We don't have great information on things like ethnicity in Ireland, but we've got good information on socioeconomic status. And we know that people from certain parts of the country either find it hard to access services geographically or because they don't have enough information about them or they're working at the time that a lot of these services are open. So what can we do about helping those people? And sometimes that is about positively doing more work in those communities than we would with others. So. We've done quite a bit of work with Pave Point for traveling communities to see, well, what are their barriers to access? Are there things that we could do that could help them more? So, yeah, it's a big part of what we want to do because we know that it's the very people who don't come are the ones who could benefit most from screening. And that's not to say, you know, it's still a choice. Not everybody wants to take it up. That's fine. But we want them to make the choice rather than actively making the choice rather than just not be able to get there yeah yeah and you're accepting that we'll have to do more work to get down to you know to the people that aren't going to get automatically or or easily or exactly 
So just to go back to something Fiona said as well about trying to get to the hard to reach groups. So the likes of the traveling community or people from different backgrounds, but also the LGBTQ plus community. We are looking for reps in all those areas from those areas, because I think as well, if they're the areas that are hard to reach, we might reach them more if people can actually see themselves in the service. So there's plenty of me in the service already, but the likes of Nikki for bowel cancer. There may, he may have been a hard to reach area and he must like push that. So if we had more people that people can relate to in the service, they might come out of the shadows. No, that's very interesting that, that we need to kind of refine the materials, refine our approach. Sometimes it's things like just easy read materials yeah. for some communities. You know, how are we helping people who have physical barriers to getting out of their house? There's loads of reasons why yeah. people don't come for screening. But you're taking a proactive approach to that and naming it. Naming it and again, going back to trying to work with people who know communities better to, right. to come and advise us. So we don't think we have the answers to it. So it's about going out and talking to other people who might be able to tell us how we could do it better. OK, and you're seeing some of this in practice, Grace? Yes, absolutely. And this is a five year strategy. I know we mentioned the timeline around cervical or the that's not a timeline. It's a modeling modeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but over the five years, like where do we think what would you like to see uh, at the end of five years? I'd like to see a lot more patient reps, hopefully. And I think we will get more. Yeah. I could think they've definitely ramped up trying to get more people. And like as a patient rep myself, I will say that the support, as Fiona has said, is there. I always have somebody I can email or call or you know, there's always somebody at the end of the phone that if I have any issue whatsoever, it's very casual. It's not business-like or very formal or it's not foreboding at all to be part of it. But I suppose, yeah, more patient reps involved. And I think the screening service can actually be used as an example now as well, that how well having patient reps on board has worked. And it really has, like it's mm. really worked. And, you know, it's not in all areas of healthcare, but I think that the NSS can be seen as an example of how well it can work when you bring patients in. And, you know, it isn't always going to be rosy yeah there has been times where like you know i might be in a room and i might be 100 percent delighted with what i might have heard and i'm sure that goes both ways to yeah. you know somebody that works in the nss but i think it does on the whole work really really well and it's a really positive thing for the service and that's exactly what the service needs now is lots more positivity and good news stories which okay. is this and the HPV. And like patients aren't there to confirm that we're great or yeah, to yeah, tell yeah, us yeah, we're yeah. there to so do the right thing. There has thing. to be a challenge. There has to be a challenge, yeah. Pointless otherwise. And that's not to put pressure on people to try and find something wrong either. But it's just having a normal conversation and dialogue to say, actually, I've thought of a way that you're not meeting X need. Yeah. Can you think about it differently? Yeah, OK, we'll think about that. You yeah. know, so it's not saying come in and find all the problems. It's just come in and tell us what it's like from your perspective to come for screening and are there things we could do differently? Okay. I want to ask you about, was there anything in the rest of 2023 that you're looking forward to doing or is there any initiative that you'd like to tell listeners about now? Yeah, so I guess one of the ones that gets a little bit less news sometimes is the retina screen programme. So mm. everybody over the age of 12, male or female, gets invited to go and get their eyes checked every year in the diabetic retina screen. Once you've had a number of OK tests, you can move to every two years, but you, most people will go every year. And in the summer, we're launching, which is just next month, in fact, a new pathway for women who become pregnant. So these are women who either have type 1 or type 2 diabetes and become pregnant. They have an increased risk of having retinopathy in their oh, eye. Right, okay. So they should go more often. So we screen them three during times the during their pregnancy. Okay. And some do, but it hasn't been very systematic. So we're now going to start a pathway that will track all of those women and invite them for extra screening 
So we're out talking to all the maternity units at the moment, making sure the GPs know about this, making sure the patients know about it. That just to be clear, there's two types. You can get diabetes while you're pregnant. So that's gestational diabetes. That's not the issue. It's people who are already diabetic who become pregnant are at increased risk. And it's those women that we want to make sure get extra screening. And I suppose because often it's cancer gets a lot of attention, retina screen is not one of the screening programs that gets a, an awful lot of press, but actually just as effective in terms of saving sight. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, really important for patients with diabetes that they protect their eyesight and come for screening regularly. Okay. And just clarify for all listeners that if anybody wants to find out anything about any of the four screening programs, their websites are diabetic retinascreening.ie, breastcheck.ie, bowelscreen.ie, and survivalcheck.ie. All that information is there. And as I said, I'd encourage listeners to have a look at some of the, the blog information, which kind of gives a little bit more stories into some of the people that have been through the service and demystifies that as we've been talking about. And we've just really started writing some of those blogs over the last year or two. We've started a new Twitter feed, so it's NSSHSE. And really interested in hearing people's stories. So, and we'll help write a blog for you. So if there's somebody out there who wants to tell us about their journey, come and let us know and, and we'd add that to our website as well. Yeah, and I'll repeat that email address there, pppleed at screenandservice.e for anybody that's interested in getting involved in the public-patient partnership. So I'd just like to finish then by really thanking Fiona and Grace for coming in to talk to me today and so much for your honesty, Grace, and telling us your story and your involvement. And it's great to hear that you have that ongoing engagement and credit to you, Fiona, and the rest of your service and staff for taking that people and culture approach and putting the process in to development of your strategy and the best of luck over the next five years. And thank you to listeners for tuning in to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing.